Good morning, everybody. My name is Adam, and I'm the associate pastor here, and I have the privilege of continuing preaching through kind of an adjustment. I don't know if you are new to us, just to catch up. Um, God is here, so that's really cool. Um, yeah, who, who knew uh, that God actually loves to abide and be in and through and around his people? And there's been an increase of it where we have noticed a move of the Spirit of God in a way that is, is, is making us have to pause and, 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 and reprioritize everything and saying, this is, this is what matters. Uh, this is where we want to live. And so because of that, we actually, through an audible and, and starting last week and going for at least through next week, we're, we're doing a thing called just like stewarding personal revival. And we felt like the Lord said this. For us to host corporate revival as a body and experience these testimonies and the move of God where there are salvations and healings and all kinds of stuff that God's doing, there has to be ownership on a personal level or it's just gonna be a flash in the pan. It's gonna be like, wow, wasn't that cool when God did that one thing that one time? But if we're willing to say, oh Lord, I want what I'm hearing, what's being testified, I wanna steward that in my own life and I wanna steward my own personal revival. God, teach me how to do that, that this might not be a momentary glimpse of joy and peace and power of God in my life, but it's a new way of living, that we can actually live. I believe that like, revival isn't a 90-minute service on a Sunday, right? It's not just this moment where we're like, wow, that was so cool, we have a revival, and then we just move on and not continue to abide with the Lord the rest of the week. But there's this place of cultivating intimacy. And so we felt like the Lord spoke about hearing him. And last week, I actually made you repeat after me. I said, my God speaks and he speaks to me. And we said, man, if, if we want people to be revived in God, they need to know that God actually cares deeply and has specific details that he wants to share with each and every one of us. That he is actually exposing his heart and his thoughts and his feelings and his ways towards each one of us. And not just in a general sense, but in a very specific personal sense. And then as we've been praying, then we came to this next thing we felt like God said, which is that we need to have, and this is the phrase that I felt like the Lord spoke every single day this whole week as I've been praying for you specifically, is that he wants us to have what I'm describing as an agreeable spirit. It's not just that we are familiar with what he says, but there's a place where we say yes to what he says. There's an agreement and an alignment, a posturing ourselves to where he is Lord and we are not. Amen? It sounds great, but it's actually a lot harder to do. <laughs> like, it is not hard for me to rally a group of people that says, man, do you love Jesus? Do you love God? And they're like, yes, I love the Lord. Then I say, awesome, like, do you trust him? I don't, yeah, I think. You mean like we actually have to do something in response to what he's leading? that actually requires trust, that it, I'm putting place my future in his hands versus my own hands, or I make decisions according to his will and not my will. Like the application of learning to walk with God in a, a journey of trust is just radically different than just a general sense of, oh, I'm very thankful that he gave me freedom from hell because I put my trust in him on the, on the cross for salvation, but do I trust him for this morning? Do I trust him for this relationship that's really hard? Do I trust him for my bills when I don't know how we're gonna pay him? Do I trust him for the healing when I have a family member who's sick? Do I trust him for wisdom on how to solve everyday problems? Do I trust him enough to let him dictate how I spend my time? It's a whole nother ballgame of intimacy, it's a, but it's really what we're called to. Like this is the Christian life, but there's been this weird thing that's happened in our culture, in America specifically, but I'd say the Western culture at large, where Christianity has come to the massive sum culmination of just an, a, a set of belief systems towards God, but not a transformed life towards God. And then we say we're Christians. But Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. Can you say Everything. Every, not some things, everything that I've commanded, right? This is a transformed life. God didn't say, go make converts who has a great theology or set of beliefs. But he says, go teach people to live as the new creation, a transformed life that they obey. They embody all of what I've called them to in all things of life. This is the, this is the life as a disciple. This is the life as a Christian. 
So I'm, I'm redeeming it back. I'm taking back the word Christian from society because it's a biblical term, first of all, and it actually was coined in the city of Antioch, which is where we get our name. And we're saying, hey, we want to embody wholeheartedly the things and the values and the purposes of God. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I, I want to talk about this journey of trust because I feel like this is, how do we, how do we have a, an agreeable spirit with God? What does that even mean to agree with God? And, and this journey of trust where we're saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to agree with you even if it's offensive or difficult for me to understand. And again, what better example than Jesus himself? You know, when Jesus came to the earth, he was fully God, but he became fully man. And that means that he actually relinquished certain rights that he had, he could have kept it, but he said not to, so that he could experience the full human experience that you and I face. So he could relate with you and I, that we, he'd be able to understand what this journey on hum, of humanity really looks like. And there are times where Jesus himself had to trust his father. Is that a weird thought? I think it's a weird thought. When he's in the garden and he's realizing that the cross is coming his way and he says, Father, if at all possible, can you pass this cup from me? Like, is there another way to go about bringing salvation to all creation, to righting the wrong of sin? Because at this point, just so you know, sin is the biggest issue of all creation. Sin is the thing that separates man from God. It's the thing that brought physical death, but also spiritual death between man and God. And so Jesus comes and he says, is there another way? But he says, but not my will be done, but yours. Do you see what Jesus just did? Hey, I'm not going to trust myself, though he's God and he's more than capable. But he says, I'm going to trust my father. I'm going to not live according to my will, but to what your will is, father. And then he even goes to the point where he dies on a cross so that when God judges sin rightfully, his full wrath comes upon sin, which ultimately takes the very life of his own son. And he trusts his father through that. That's interesting uh, theology, isn't it? That sometimes trusting God doesn't mean it's the easiest path or the most comfortable path or the most logical path. And Jesus doesn't only just trust him to die on the cross, but then he has so much trust in the father that he trusts that he's gonna raise him in three days. Right? What a perfect example of a disciple. The word disciple literally means learner. And to go specifically further, it goes learner by following. So it's one who says, I'm going to learn how to live this life. I'm a disciple of Jesus by following his footsteps. And this idea of a journey to trust and even coming to the point where you say, not my will be done, but your will be done, Father, is the daily decisions of a disciple of Jesus. This is how it should look for you and me. That every day we get up and say, may I live as Christ and not for myself. And may I lay down my life, pick up my cross and follow him. This is the journey of a Christian. It isn't supplementary where we do our life however we choose and then every now and then we, we sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus. But there's this calling, if we're gonna steward personal revival that we say, no longer my will be done, but yours. God, whatever you say, I'm gonna have an agreeable spirit to what you're calling me to. So 2 Corinthians chapter five, verses 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Discipleship is not simply just mimicking behavior. God is not interested, I've said this many times if you've ever heard me preach before, but he's not interested in behavior modification. It is, it is wrong and bad theology to think that to become a Christian, what it means is you're now saved and you say, okay, God, like what you're gonna do is you're gonna slowly over time just try to improve my condition. 
Like you're gonna come in and just put some lipstick on me, pretty me up, you know, maybe teach me some better behaviors and patterns, but you're just gonna make a better version of myself. That actually is wrong theology. The Bible teaches that that old person, BC, before Christ, that the thing that happened before you got saved, that person is now dead. Like no longer living, is now irrelevant. Not to go back and, and, and meditate on or try to mimic or to, to live from that posture any longer. But a new creation has come. Do you live? Do we live? Do we think like new creation? I, I sometimes wonder. Because the Bible teaches us that if we put our hope in Jesus, that there's this new creation that comes in and we are now living as a new creation. But even here, we see that Paul is challenging the Corinthian church because he's saying, be reconciled to God. And his audience isn't non-believers, it's the church. So yes, be reconciled. If you don't know Jesus, be reconciled to God. Like come and put your hope and faith in Jesus and start a relationship with, with, the, with the king of the universe. Well worth your time and energy. Let's start there. But the audience here is talking to a church who starts to live out their faith in their own efforts. They start to do this like independent salvation story, which is a, con a conundrum. It doesn't, that doesn't work. That's a problem. But we start to, thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Now I'm gonna live independently from you and every now and I'll try to do a little bit better and work a little bit harder and I'm gonna, I'm gonna improve myself on my own right. Instead of saying, no, like I actually am no longer a slave to sin. That old creation is dead. And I'm now alive in God. I'm a new creation. So now it is actually, get this, it is more natural for you to be righteous than sinful. It is natural. It, is, it should be easier, more your, your natural mode of operation if you have the spirit of God living in you that you now think on heavenly things and not on earthly things. That you set your mind on Christ and his ways are higher than our ways, right? And so that should be a more natural for you to have faith in the midst of opposition. Instead of being overwhelmed by despair, by overwhelmed by depression, by being overwhelmed by anxiety, there's this unusual sense of natural state of like, I think God's up to something good. This is the reality of a new creation. The problem is, is we get our new creation, but then we choose to operate with an old creation mindset. And the invitation of stewarding personal revival is to go to war and say, I will not allow my mindset, my spirit, my soul, my being be in agreement with the old creation any longer. I will go to war with it. The language in scripture about this is aggressive. It is not like mediocre, like, you know, maybe sometimes you should consider doing whatever. It is, I reject that old being. It is dead. It was buried the day Jesus was buried in the tomb. That's when that old creation got buried for you. And so it's dead, it's gone. And now you are alive in Jesus. And then it says, but we implore you on Christ's behalf, verses 20, be reconciled to God. And this is church, be reconciled to God. This is a challenge to us. This word be reconciled is karalaso. And this word literally means to change or to exchange, like old for new. There is an exchange that's happening. You, you can't hang on to the old and get the new. You have to let go of the old to receive the new. You hear me? And then it says to return, another way of describing this word is to return to favor, to become agreeable with and no longer in resistance. As I've been praying for us, asking God what, what he wants to do all week, has just been this phrase of like, I want my people to be agreeable with me and I no longer want to resist them. And I was like, oh Lord, may it not be said of us that you have to wrestle with us all the time because we are so unagreeable with what you want to do. If we want to steward revival, there has to be a relinquishing control where we say, God, whatever you say, whatever you want to do, I'm in. I want to have an agreeable spirit with the Lord. I want him to have his way with me even if it's difficult, even if it's offensive to my mind. Sometimes God will ask us or say things to us that is difficult. We'll be in situations in life and we pray about it and we're like, I think God said this, but I don't know if I want to do that, right? The, the testimony is in the obedience. The testimony is in the relinquishing control. 
The moment you say, okay, God, not my will, just like Jesus, as a, as a learner by following, as we follow Jesus as our example, as disciples of Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. That's when the breakthrough and the healing and the restoration, the word salvation, sozo, means saved, healed, delivered. God didn't just save you from hell. He also wants to heal and deliver you. He wants to do the whole package. It's the desire of God's heart. But sometimes we love Jesus as Savior, but we don't necessarily love him as Lord. And this is a lordship message. This is a, a aligning ourselves under the authority of God, saying, I'm gonna be agreeable with you whether I like it or not. That's irrelevant. Help my heart like it. But I wanna get an agreement with you right now, Jesus. And I wanna draw your attention to the screen. We're gonna watch a testimony. This is just from this spring back in March. Some, a beautiful family, a couple in our church, and they just wanna share a testimony of where God asked them to do something that was difficult, and they said yes to it, and then they got the breakthrough. So turn to the screen. There's these chairs, right? Yep. My name's Scott Ledbetter. This is my wife, Brittany. And uh, we're here to share God. We've been married for four years. Mm -hmm. Saved for pretty much the same mm -hmm. amount of time. Well, he continues time and time again. Um, but I'll we'll share a, a more recent one. Um, that was very, very uh, prevalent on, on him doing and, and being in control of, of all things. Bringing us out, out, out of the thick, I, I had thought that, um, that I had taken care of everything that I needed to take care of, you know, as, as far as like legally speaking, um, from, you know, things that I've done in my past, my criminal record and, and all of these things. Um, and unknowingly years had gone by um, where I didn't deal with something um, and so fast forward to being here at Antioch uh, me and my wife just felt a pull um, to be involved with kids ministry we submitted our background checks my wife passed hers flying colors and um, and mine came back with an active warrant um, from a county that I was completely unaware of um, and of course this devastated me this started to raise up feelings in myself um, that I, I really had to, to pray against, um, you know. Thankfully, Andrew um, got on the phone with him and we immediately just started praying it out. We began the process of trying to figure out what this even is. You know, this had been um, from years ago. It wasn't even recent. Um, I wasn't even sure the charge or what it was, what county, and just had to really start digging in things. And, and so I once again placed it at, at, at his feet, you know, placed it at God's feet. and. Um, and one, one day specifically, um, I was in prayer, and God told me to just go. Just go. All the fears that I have of just, you know, being away from my family, not knowing what's going to happen when I show up and turn myself in, God's telling me to go. And I said, okay. So I came out of that place, and I uh, told her, I said, you know, I think God's telling me that I just need to go. I just need to turn myself in, and, and he, he has this. And she said, okay. And the very next day, um, she drove me to the courthouse, and I walked in there, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm here to turn myself in. Um, and um, the prosecutor came out, um, got me, took me back, and... Um, it took me by surprise. Immediately, he started talking to me about the snow outside on the Superstition Mountains. This was in the beginning of March. Um, so we had this amazing conversation on the way back to his office about, you know, the snow on the mountains. Um, and he took the letter that I wrote, and he started to read it. And time was ticking so slowly for me because I was just sitting there waiting for him to read this. Um, I also told him that, that I was sorry that I was sorry for wasting his time for the court's time, um, and that it is completely and 100% my fault, and whatever I have to do to make this right, that's why I'm here. And he scribbled out what he wrote down on the plea agreement right in front of me, wrote his initials next to it, and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change your charge, I'm gonna drop it to um, a different charge where you won't have to you know, do A, B, and C. Um, I'm also gonna lower your fine, because I've never had anybody come in here and completely admit guilt and say that they're sorry to my face. Um, 
and I started crying. I started weeping right in front of him. And, uh, and he started crying as well. And it was like this amazing moment. I'm sitting here with the state of Arizona prosecutor and we're both weeping together and he's holding this paper and he walks me back out to the judge and he said, if the judge has any questions, tell her to come get me. And I said, okay. So I walked out there and I sat for the judge to call me and I said, okay, I'm, I'm here, you know, to pay my fine. And, um, and she's like, okay, well, um, state requirement is going to be that you're on unsupervised probation and you're going to have to pay this fine. I said, yes, judge, anything, whatever I need to do. And she said, are you able to pay this fine right now? And I said, yes, I'll pay it in full and do whatever you guys need me to do. And in an instant, she just looks confused. Like her face just goes blank and she starts rummaging through all of these papers on her desk and she goes, I'm not gonna make you do any probation, pay your fine and I just don't wanna see you again. <laughs> and I said, thank you, your honor. I walked out of there and cried my way to my car and cried and rejoiced. It was, it was the most amazing experience because it wasn't just the, the physical of God revealing this warrant and, and squashing it, taking it completely away, but he healed something in my heart that day. When I had that moment with that prosecutor, he showed me that that's not who I am anymore. He didn't view me in who paperwork said I was. Paperwork says that I'm this person, but here this state prosecutor is sitting in front of me and he's, he says, this isn't who you are. And I see that. And that spoke to me. And that did something in my heart and changed me in the way that God views me and used this man to, to impact that in my heart. I immediately called Andrew. I told Adam. I was, I was telling everybody. I was just so excited because all these guys were along my side in all of this. All of, uh, everybody was praying for no me. No one ever treated him like, I mean, you know, imagine going to a, you know, volunteer for a kids ministry and seeing it like you immediately think like wow everyone's now i'm embarrassed to go to church on sunday this is kind of embarrassing was, and yeah. and nobody ever treated him like that ever mm -hmm. and walking beside him and showing him like look this is truly just from your past we we love you for what god's mm -hmm. done for you and, and mm -hmm. it was such a witness to me to have to see that support from my husband from somebody it was it was amazing mm -hmm. so god's good Is that better? I apologize. Wow. And I, my, I love two things in there. One is that the prosecutor was almost like the stand-in for Jesus. Where he says, I don't look at you like the old man. Why are, you, why are you thinking of yourself as the old man? I don't see that anymore. And then I loved how the church didn't either. We need to start looking at each other like new creations. We don't hold each other's passes against each other. We don't demonize each other or, or, or shame one another. But we are forgiving just as we've been forgiven. We are loving just as we've been first loved by God. There is a place for us to champion this. And it came, for, for the Ledbetters, it came out of this place of God spoke something, which we talked about last week. We talked about hearing God. But this week, we're talking about like responding to it. God, God said this. He said to go. Okay, we're, we're gonna, it doesn't make sense. I don't know if it's the safest thing to do. There might be real consequence to obedience. And then he gets the testimony and the breakthrough and, and then ultimately the healing of his heart. Our obedience to God heals us. It restores us. But there has to be this place of letting go. Letting go of control. Is there any control freaks in the room? You don't, right? go ahead and raise your hand. Be proud. And then repent. I saw that. I saw the hands. Can't take it back now. It's real. This, this internal struggle of wrestling with God and God saying, stop wrestling with me. That I, I paraphrased this earlier, but Matthew 16, 24 and 25 says, then Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The absurdity is that when we think that we're preserving something for ourselves with taking control, it's actually the very thing that's gonna cause death in us. Isn't that wild? 
We're, we're, we're causing our own demise when we usurp authority and think that we're above God's will and we know better. But the moment we relinquish it and we say, God, I trust you. I trust that you're good. I trust that you know better. That's the very place in which we start to come alive. And we actually start to be living like we're, we were meant to. I remember living in Boston. I was um, in the discipleship school. Another plug, you should do it. Uh, but I was in the discipleship school and they, they played this video by a man named Lauren Cunningham. And Lauren Cunningham was the founder of YWAM, Youth with a Mission, awesome organization. But this video was from 1978 or something. He had a blue polyester suit with this like ruffly shirt underneath sticking out. And uh, it was epic. It was awesome. And, uh, you know, glitchy video, old video, but wow, the, the, the teaching changed my life. And, but it was, uh, I, I struggled with the whole teaching because Lauren Cunningham started addressing issues where we've adopted understandings of our rights as people that aren't aligning with scripture. And he starts talking about specifically in the Western context, in the American context, where we think we have a right to a lot of things. And he's saying, well, biblically, no, we don't. And so he starts to go through them. And, and, you know, some of them are like, okay, I can understand that. So he says, you know, you have, you know, you lose your right to your reputation. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, the Bible says that if they persecuted you, you realize they persecuted me first. And there's, there's this place of sometimes you're going to be misunderstood or even maligned, which I pray that never happens, but for standing up for the gospel, for aligning with Jesus, it's not going to always be going to be popular. So I'm like, okay, you know, I get that. And then he goes on, he says, well, what about friends, you know? And I'm like, well, friends, like, he's like, yeah, sometimes, you know, friends aren't on board when you're team Jesus. And it's not, you know, sometimes you lose the rights to friends if you're going to follow me. I'm like, man, I don't like that. And then he starts talking about finances. And I'm like, back off, Lauren, you know? <laughs> and he starts talking about, you know, God is sovereign over everything that we have, including our money. And I'm like, Good, good grief, dude. And then, and then he goes further and he says, freedom. And I'm like, freedom? And he's like, yeah, like Paul was in jail. He starts listening to all these people. He's like, sometimes you, you lose your freedom to follow Jesus. And I'm like, okay, man, is there like a good size to this testimony or story or something? And then he goes on and he says, future. He says, you lose your right to future. God dictates future. And I'm like, wow. And then the last one was actually the one that was most difficult for me. He said, your family. I'm like, don't touch my family, right? And he's like, no, they're on loan from the Lord. And you steward them according to what God says, not according to what you think's best. And then he goes on, he tells this testimony where he says that they've been praying for his wife to be able to travel with him to this, this other country where they were gonna go preach the gospel. And they raised this money and God provided supernaturally. And they're in this other country, it's late at night. They're out in the middle of this desert in this bush area. And he's in a Jeep and they're driving. He says he's turning a corner and he wrecks the Jeep. And he says when he comes to, he's realized that he was hanging upside down in the Jeep, that he'd been wrecked there for unconscious for a very long time. And he can look through the broken windshield and can see that his wife was thrown through the windshield and she's now laying face down outside the vehicle. And he says that he unhooks himself and he crawls over to her and he grabs her and he pulls her up in his arm and he realizes his wife has died. And he starts asking questions like, God, I trusted you. I went on this journey of trust. I'm a disciple of Jesus, right? And, and I trusted you and my wife has died. And as he's sitting there holding her, he's grieving her. He says like five, 10 minutes goes by and then he lays her down on the ground and he has this process with God. And he, and he said, when he was a young man, he had to wrestle through this question, do I really believe that God is good? Do I believe it to the core? Not just, you know, just being kind of niceties, but do I really, really believe that God is good? And he says, as a young man, I decided I was going to live every day with the paradigm that I really do believe God is as good as he says he is. And so as he's holding his, his deceased wife, he has this moment where he's like, even now, God, I trust that you're good. And he lays her down and he begins to worship. He raises, he's on his knees in the dirt. He's raising his hands and he's worshiping Jesus. And he's saying, I don't understand, but not my will, but yours be done. God, I would love if you pass this cup from me. But in your sovereignty, I trust your nature over my experience. I trust your nature over my preference and you are good right now. And he says he's worshiping for like 10 minutes when all of a sudden his wife goes, <gasps> and air fills her lungs and she comes back to life. And he scoops her up and then she ends up having a full recovery. 
But he goes on to tell, he, he says, you are going to stumble in your journey with Jesus and your stewarding of your own personal revival if you have to tug in war with God if he's good some days and not others. But if you can get a resolve, a resolute situation in your heart where I will, pre- I will pre-decide God is good all the time, not some of the time, then there is a grace paradigm that you can have even in the midst of the hardest days as a disciple and follower of Jesus because you know that he's good. I'm pretty confident Jesus wasn't questioning the goodness of the Father in the garden. He just didn't like the circumstance. And so he's like, I know you're good. Any other circumstance? Any other way of doing this? But not my will, but yours be done because I trust in your nature. Right? So it is for us to steward personal revival. God is inviting us. Will we war with him to trust in his goodness? This messed me up so much. Like I, I, I'm a crier. I, I don't know if you noticed that in the last couple of weeks. I cry all the time. And so I am crying from this teaching because I'm realizing I actually don't know if I can say this. I don't know if I would respond like Lauren Cunningham did in the dirt with his wife. And so I'm driving home from D school. I have to pull over next to the Charles River. I'm having this very dramatic movie-like moment. I'm hitting the steering wheel and I'm like, God, like, I don't know. And then all of a sudden I just like come to this point. I'm just saying, forget it. Like, I'm in. I'm in, God. Like, I relinquish my rights to say that I get to pick and choose if my circumstance dictates your character. You were always good and I'm gonna trust that you're good. And the Lord's presence filled the cab of my vehicle and I was overwhelmed by him. And it didn't last for a moment. It lasted for a very long time. And I didn't handle it very well. I don't know if you've ever like responded in zeal poorly, but I actually ran home or drove home. And then I got into the apartment and Shelly's asleep on the couch. She was waiting for me to get home and she fell asleep on the couch. And I wake her up and I'm like, you've got to tell me right now that if I was to die tomorrow, that God's good. And she's like, why are you saying that? You know, like it was not a smooth marriage moment. So don't do that with your spouses. But like, that's been a decision for us and our family. From that moment forward, we're like, if God says something, we're in. I'm gonna agree with him. Not my will, but your will be done. I'm gonna have agreeable spirit knowing that the nature of God is good even when I don't understand. Because if you don't, your, your default response is gonna be control and control is bad. Please hear me, control does not go well with you. Control actually leads to slavery versus when you relinquish the right and you trust in the nature of God, it leads to freedom. That's how those who try to preserve their lives lose it, but those who give up their lives for Christ's sake, they find it. It's the giving up of control. And I was asking the Lord just for some things that he wanted to share and these three things came to mind that I feel like God wants to challenge us as we're stewarding personal revival to let go of. And one is relationships. We give up control of how we do relationships. And I was even hearing like my own, my own head, like my own heart sometimes where I'm resistant to God and he has to wrestle with me. And I'm like, Lord, I really want revival, but don't tell me that I have to, you know, forgive my wife for that thing that she did. Or, you know, Lord, I really want revival, but don't, don't tell me to bear with the church because <laughs> you guys are difficult. <laughs> kind of joking, but you all feel that at some point with the church, right? It's because the church is difficult. People get hurt by the church, right? But we're called to love the church. A disciple loves the church. It's not condoning bad behavior or hurt offenses or any of that stuff. But if you came to me and said, Adam, I really love you. I love you, but your wife drives me crazy. I'd say, man, I love you too, but you and I have problems. (laughs) Right? And the church is the bride of Jesus. It's his bride. And if you say, I love God, but I don't love the church, you are you are not living in full revived mode where you're stewarding personal revival. You're actually living a Lone Ranger experience that's gonna leave you acceptable to, to being taken out by the enemy, first of all. So you need to be mindful of that. But it also is gonna keep bitterness and offense in your heart and you're not gonna get free. So how we do relationships matters. Or um, single folks, like trust the Lord for marriage. I, and that's easy for me to say as a married man, so I take that very sensitively. Please don't hear that wrong. But don't go with like, you know, I really want a Christian guy and then you settle with just a guy, right? Like, don't do that, right? Obey the Lord, follow his leadership, submit to his will and his ways. Like how we do relationships matters. The second thing I felt like the Lord brought up was money. 
And I could hear my own self saying, God, I really, really want revival in my life. I want to steward revival and I want to love you with my whole heart, God. But just don't tell me how to spend my money, right? Do you know Jesus speaks more about money than any other person in the entire Bible? All collected. Jesus talks a lot about money. And he doesn't say it's bad or it's wrong to have. He just says it's a horrible master. And if you trust your decisions for money over his decisions for money, it's not going to go well with you. You're going to get twisted in your thoughts. You're going to get twisted in your heart. It's going to create brokenness in relationships and lifestyle. And it's going to create a lot of pain for you. You know, tithing is a biblical command. Generosity is a biblical challenge where he says, try to outgive the Lord your God. He actually steps up a notch and says, try to operate in a generous spirit. Like God longs for us to look at money rightly. Not because God is deficient of funds. He's a king who owns a cattle, a a, a cattle on a thousand hills. He's not sitting there going, man, I really need you know, your 10%. He's saying it because he wants your freedom and he wants your heart. He wants you to relinquish rights. And he wants you to let go of control. And the third thing I felt like the Lord spoke was time. Where I could hear just my own heart saying, God, I really want revival. I want to steward what you're doing to me, but just don't tell me how to spend my time. I'm just too busy, God. And I, I know like, busyness isn't a sin in the, in the Bible, like you won't find that written out. But th- there is, there's a premise of creating space for God that is very much biblical. And C.S. Lewis in his book toward, uh, called The Screwtape Letters, he even writes about these, these demons having a conversation and they're like, how do we like usurp a, a powerful and impacting life for these Christians. And they're like, you know, I got an idea. Let's just keep them really busy. Because if they're really busy, they won't be attentive to the things that really matter. And even in this modern age, like where we are today, there's this phrase uh, that's been going around. It's called attention economy. And I don't know if you know this, but your attention is the most valuable asset that you have right now in our society. So businesses, organizations, social media, all these things, they are paying and trading and bartering for your attention. They're trying to do whatever they can, all these, all these organizations, to try to keep you looking at something specific so that you aren't looking at something else. They want all of your attention. So there has to be this place, and we talked about this last week in Hearing God, where we carve out a waiting on the Lord time, where we are pushing back the noise and saying, God, if I want revival, I've got to have space with you. Not just in my Jesus time, yes and amen, but even, God, you can control my calendar. What are your priorities and how do I align myself with your priorities? I relinquish control of my time. This is, this is the desire of God's heart because otherwise he's going to be wrestling with you. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus is worthy of your undivided attention. If a king of a kingdom says, stand before me and lock eyes with me. You don't say, I'm, you know, I'm busy looking at Instagram. Or, you know, work's been slammed. I got to work a million hours overtime. Or fill, whatever, it could be a good thing. But it's not necessarily the right thing. He's king. And he is worthy of our affection and our attention and our undivided attention. Because the word of the Lord is he wants us to have an agreeable spirit and he doesn't want to wrestle with us anymore. I was thinking about my, my oldest son is 10. His name's Elias and he's amazing. And I, I know most parents think their kids are the best, but mine really is better than all yours. And um, just joking. But he wasn't always that way. Um, when he was two and three years old, he was a monster. I mean, a monster. So much so like my friends like Travis and different people come up to me and they'd put their arm over my shoulder and they'd just be like, I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> and he wouldn't even tell me what they're talking about, but I knew they're talking about Elias. And I, I was going, I know, I know, I'm trying, you know. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, this parenting thing's tough, you know. Because he, would, he was just like, I'm not gonna do that. And it's not like he sees that at home. It's not like Shelly's like, hey, honey, can you pass the potatoes? I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. You know, like, like we're not modeling this at home. It's just the waywardness in him, right, you know? And so we, this was like a long period of like disciplining and praying and repenting and repeat the cycle over and over again. And after like a year, year and a half, Shelly was just like, God, we need breakthrough. And she felt like the Lord brought up um, Psalm, is it 5110? Is that right? Yeah, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
And so we'd go through this whole process of, okay, that was sin. Not only does that hurt mommy and daddy, but it also hurts you and God. And we want you to learn to obey mommy and daddy because we ultimately want you to learn to obey God. And so let's repent. And then we pray. And then we say, God, create in me a pure heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit. A steadfast spirit is a spirit that stays in alignment with the Lord, that doesn't get weary of doing good, that doesn't say, oh, I'm, I'm kind of obeying God today, but I'm, gonna, I'm starting to like get off track. It's this no steadfastness. Lord, I want to stay in line with you and stay sensitive to you. And then there was this day, I mean, literally it was, it was a day, like it just overnight. And I was like, hey, buddy, can you, can you pass me that cup? And he was like, yeah, dad. And I was like, what? Shelly, come in here. Come in here right now. She comes in here. She's like, what, babe? I'm like, watch this. Uh, Eli Elias, can you hand me the remote? Yeah, dad. You know, little three-year-old self brings it over to me. She goes, oh my gosh. And we started, we did this for hours. So we're like, what else can we, what else can we get him to? Because what it did was it not only brought peace in the home, it brought intimacy because I didn't have to wrestle with my three-year-old anymore. Right? And when we get saved, we are a new creation. But when we get saved, we are babies. We are infants. We are small. We have a small mind, a small understanding of God, and God doesn't want us to stay there. He actually says, stop drinking mother's milk and eat solid food. But that solid food only comes when we surrender ourselves to God and say, we get in alignment with whatever you're doing. And what it does is then we start to grow up. And now it's, Elias is incredible. He's an awesome big brother. He's a great example for his little brothers. He's an obedient child. He's not perfect, but he's dang awesome, right? Because he's growing up and he's learning to be agreeable with mom and dad and have a heart that's tender. And now he wants to obey us, not because we're trying to make him obey. Like, there's this thing in his heart like, I wanna please my dad. And I, I make, it makes me melt. And to think that we can make God's heart melt when we have a heart that just says, I wanna be agreeable with you, Lord. I don't, want to, I don't want you to resist me. I want, I want to be in alignment with what you're doing. This is the desire of God's heart. And it comes, the first step is repentance. That's where repentance is a perpetual state of agreement with God. It's anytime we acknowledge something that's not, we say, oh, stop. I'm going to get in alignment and agreement with God. That's what repentance, literally repentance means to change one's mind. So there's this humility that has to come that we say, oh, I'm not thinking rightly or I'm not living rightly. And I'm going to change and turn from that way of thinking or living to something different. Repentance is not just a act, a one-time thing. Like, okay, I messed up. Here's a doorway. I have to repent and get to the other side. So now that I'm good. Repentance is the spirit of God continually leading us into wholeness and righteousness and agreeing with the new creation. It's that way of saying, don't think like the old man. That old man is dead. Live as the new creation. That's what this is. We need to redeem what the idea of repentance is. Repentance is a gift. It's the kindness of God. We don't need to be afraid of it or feel like God's shaming us. He doesn't do that. When I finish disciplining Elias and we go through this whole prayer and we say, create in me a pure heart of God, renew the spirit within me. We say, in Jesus' name, amen. I say, buddy, God forgives you, mommy and daddy forgives you, and you are, and this is the best part. He goes, I'm free. And he raises his hand. I say, that's right, dude. You are free. I'm not gonna say, didn't I already tell you? Didn't we just, no, because the moment I forgave him, I cast that as far as the east is from the west because the moment God forgives you of your past, he casts as far as the east is from the west. So he's not sitting there like bringing up your past, shaming you. That's something you're doing as a lie that you're believing. And God's like, no, you're a new creation. Now live in agreement with me. Live in freedom. This is the desire of God's heart. Will you stand with me? Proverbs 16, 20 says this, God blesses those who obey him. Happy the man who puts his trust in the Lord. Will you close your eyes? I wanna, I wanna read that over you. And I want you to talk to your heart afterwards and say, where am I resistant? Where does God have to wrestle with me? Proverbs 16, 20, God blesses those who obey him. 
Happy the man who puts his trust in the Lord. Even now, I'm gonna ask you to, you're just hanging there with me with this kind of silly analogy stuff, but I want you to put your hands out in front of you, but I want you to close your fists. And I want you to ask the Lord right now, what are the things that you are not relinquishing? What are these things in your life right now where you're saying, I'm close-fisted about this, but God is saying it's time to relinquish it. It's time to let it go. It's time to say, not my will, but your will be done. It's time to, uh, to surrender in humility again. God, I surrender my finances. I surrender my family. I surrender my freedom. I surrender my reputation. Whatever it is, God, like I want to steward revival. And I don't want to miss out because I'm being selfish, which is leading to my own demise. I want to let go and trust God. And then as God brings things up, I want you by faith to slowly open your hands to these different things that you say, God, I'm letting go of fill in the blank right now in Jesus' name. Lead yourself right now to that place. God is meeting with you right now. God, I'm letting go of that relationship. I'm letting go of that, that, that thing that I just said, you know, conditional God, I'll follow you if, fill in the blank, like we barter with God. God, I'll follow you, period, whether that thing happens or not. feel like this is just truly a matter of eternity here. This is a big deal. This isn't just for this life, but it's for the life to come. God is wanting to teach you to live surrendered, abandoned, liberated unto Jesus. My, um, my grandparents growing up they were very, very different to individuals, my, my dad's parents. Um, when I think about my grandfather, I think about <laughs> cleaning up the leaves in the gutter, <laughs> mowing the lawn, running to the dump, you know, doing tasks with him. And he was kind of this old honorary man. He was in this group called the Friendly Words Club, and they would sit at uh, Hardee's and drink coffee, and they'd make fun of people who come inside the store. They weren't very friendly. It was snarky old men. And, uh, you know, and it was always playful, um, except for as he got older, he didn't have the willpower to save face to actually show the condition of his heart. So as he got older, you actually saw what he cultivated, how much surrender and givenness to God, how much uh, impressionable he was by the Lord. Say, God, come and mold me, come and change me. Teach me to live in the new, the new creation. You could see that actually there was a resistance to the Lord because in his old age, he just got harder and harder. Uh, some of it was funny. I mean, he was in a nursing home and he used to ride over people's feet with his scooter, all the, all the aides that worked at the nursing home. He thought it was so funny. So they took the keys away from him. He calls the manufacturer and says, I lost my keys. They sent him a new set of keys, at which he immediately begins running over feet again. So he, he was a very funny old man. But his, his wife, my, my grandmother, um, my memories of her cooking in the kitchen, gardening outside, um, and sitting in her chair, she had her chair, and she would just spend time with the Lord. She had her Bible and her journal. And she would cultivate intimacy and surrender to Jesus. And she ended up getting Alzheimer's and we had to put her in a home just for people with Alzheimer's. And, um, and I'd go see her and she'd say, hi, what's your name? And I'm, I'm Adam, I'm actually your grandson. And, oh, that's nice, you know, yeah. And so we'd talk and if I left the room and I came back, I'd have to do it all again. Hi, what's your name? Oh, my name's Adam, nice to meet you. But she would revert back sometimes even to her like 12 year old self. She's like, I'm a tap dancer. I'm like, you are? She's like, yeah, can I, say, can I see it? She's like, sure. And so she'd kind of do her thing, you know? And I'd be like, you're a good dancer. She goes, I know. And I'd say, um, Grandma, do you know who Jesus is? Oh, absolutely. It's the only person she could remember consistently. The only was Jesus. And I'd say, oh, really? And I'm like, um, well, do you talk to him? She goes, I talk to him every day. And I said, well, what did he, he tell you today? And she'd walk me over to her Bible and she'd open it up and she'd say, well, today I read this. And I felt like the Lord spoke this. And then the next day I'd come back and she'd be like, well, today he read it. And it was the next portion, like it was continuation. Her body was dying. Her mind was dying, but her spirit was alive. When we talk about stewarding revival, we're not talking about, 
external behavioral modifications. We're talking about cultivating a responsive, agreeable spirit with the living God. Like this is a much bigger deal than just living a happy life. God does give us joy and peace and even happiness, but he's wanting so much more than that for you and me. He's wanting his church to steward personal revival so that he can move corporately that changes the face of the planet. He wants us to have much bigger dreams for what he wants to do than what we have. But it comes from this place of saying, God, I wanna tend to this because there's eternity at stake. So I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna invite our ministry to come on forward. So if you're in your ministry, go ahead and come up. And then I'm gonna ask that you come and surrender whatever it is that you just are having a hard time letting go of. Because God is tired of wrestling with us. And if we wanna see revival come, there has to be an agreeable spirit with him. So I'm gonna pray, band's gonna lead us, come get prayer or come just kneel down and get in this posture of surrender again, saying, God, I say yes to whatever it is you wanna say. I'm all in before you even know the question, Lord, I'm in because I trust that you're good and you're for me. And I wanna follow you as a disciple. So Lord, will you pray right now that you would do that very thing, that you would come and stir the affections of us as your people and you would lead us into righteousness today. Lead us into agreement with the new creation, that we would allow ourselves to truly cut the ties of the old creation, the old creation mentality, the keeping our past hanging over us, the shame, the, 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 the patterns of the old. We break it off in Jesus' name. And we say liberty to your children, liberty to this house, that we are a people who agree with God. God, it says that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro across the earth to fully support those whose hearts are fully his. And God, my prayer right now is that when you look at this room, you find hearts that are fully yours right now. That you're saying, I can get behind that person because they're not after their will, they're after my will. They're not after their ways, they're after my ways. Their heart is tender towards me right now. God, may we cultivate a tenderness, an agreeable nature, God, that we cultivate and steward revival and we fan the flame of a yes in our spirit towards you. And we repent, God, not out of shaming ourselves, but out of the joy of repentance, knowing that it's a a perpetual state of agreement. There's this place of saying, I wanna agree with you right now. So I'm gonna repent and realign. So God, may we do it daily. May we daily get up, daily pick up our cross and follow you. Daily repent of any waywardness within us. As, As David says, God, search my heart and know any wayward part within me. So that not I might be shamed, but so that I might be free and liberated to be in agreement with God again. So come and lead us in the ways of righteousness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond.